Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. We've got a bit of a different format today. Yes, Grant. Welcome to our new regular monthly podcast that's going to be covering the top news stories shaping change in Australia's dynamic packaging industry. And today I'm joined by my colleague, PKN's Associate Editor, Wayne Robinson, and we're going to be taking a closer look and add some analysis to the news that's been making headlines on the PKN in print and digital platform. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Lindy. Good to be here. Well, 2023 started off with a fair amount of buzz around fibre-based packaging. Tell us what's been happening. Yes, Wayne, the development of fibre-based materials as an alternative sustainable packaging material to plastic has been on the steady rise for some time. But the shift that we're seeing now and is pretty interesting, is in new areas like flexible packaging for chocolate and other confectionery. So it kicked off late last year and around November, Mars Wrigley announced that they were going to be trialing a paper-based wrapper for their chocolate brands, Mars Bar, the Snickers and Milky Way, with a plan for paper wrappers to hit shelves in April. Now, what's interesting here is that the packaging has been developed by Mars Wrigley R&D in collaboration with Amcor right here in Australia. And the trials have been happening at Mars Wrigley's Ballarat facility. The results of these, the company tells me, will inform decisions around a global rollout of the product. And of course, all the technology, the learnings and insights developed and deployed locally in Australia will be shared and implemented in other Mars Wrigley markets across the globe. So that's quite a feather in the cap for Australian packaging development. Yeah, good to see this development happening onshore here in Australia. Do we know anything about the construction and manufacture of the wrapper? Well, from what I can gather when I interviewed, um, the wrapper is manufactured by Amcor. It is mostly paper. In fact, I was given the number 86% to define exactly how much paper is in it. Um, That includes a thin plastic barrier and, of course, the inks and sealants that are involved in making a chocolate wrapper. But it is nevertheless still recyclable in the paper stream. Now, Mars Wrigley R&D Director Chris Hutton has confirmed that Mars is currently working on a second iteration of this wrapper, which um, will remove that thin plastic barrier. And it's implied that this is going to be fully paper-based, and this will hopefully be available by the end of 2023. Yeah, a great development. Uh, But Mars isn't the only brand using Australia as a test market, is it? Nestle is doing something similar, I understand. Yeah, so that's right. In a global first for the Kit Kat chocolate bar brand, Nestle ran a trial in January on paper packaging wrapper for its 45-gram bar. And I specify the 45-gram bar because that's the four-finger Kit Kat bar. Um, And that's its most popular variant. And it produces about 30 million of these a year. That's a lot of Kit Kats we're all eating. The trial ran in Coles supermarkets across WA, South Australia, and Northern Territory. And there's a good reason for this, Wayne, because the packaging needs to survive the rigors of transportation and logistics and um, variations in temperature conditions. So that's why Nestle was testing it across those far-flung states and those temperature 
conditions that we expect, the extremes in Northern Territory and so on. Now, the barrier layer in the KitKat paper wrapper, is, which was developed in Nestle's R&D center in the UK, so not here, is a very thin foil lining, so not plastic foil in this case. Again, though, not impacting its recyclability in the paper stream. And because of the scale and reach of this brand in Australia, it's one of the biggest markets for KitKat globally. The trial will give Nestle robust insights to provide learnings for the global KitKat business. That's one of the biggest users of flexible packaging, a material that's notoriously hard to recycle. Nestle would be considering this paper-based option quite seriously then. Yes, they certainly would have to be. Um, Nestle has already rolled out paper packaging for its Smarties packs in Australia, an innovation that has scored the company a World Star Packaging Award for 2023. And incidentally, as a quick side note, um, also making headlines in the beginning part of this year has been the news that the ANZ region, so that's Australia and New Zealand, the packaging industry there has scored no less than 17 awards, placing our region second only to Japan in this year's World Star competition. And those awards are going to be given out later this year at Interpac. But back to Nestle, Nestle is pursuing multiple material solutions to meet its sustainability targets. As we know from previous conversations on this very podcast, in other innovation on KitKat wrappers, um, in a cross-industry collaborative project, Nestle has developed a prototype flexible wrapper, which was made from recycled material, and that was done right here in Australia. Um, more recently, Nestle also rolled out the first commercial-scale recycled content soft plastic wrapper here in Australia with 45-gram KitKat bars, again, the same popular bar, packaged in 30% recycled content wrappers. But soft plastic innovation notwithstanding, the current shortage that we have for the post-consumer recycled material makes a paper-based option look attractive. Well, it'll be very interesting to see the consumer response to these trials. Yes, of course, you have to have consumers on board. And if trends um, are to be believed, consumers are really keen to have paper, um, paper-based packaging. And Nestle is keen to get consumers engaged with this trial. So they've also deployed a QR code on pack to allow consumers to have their say. Those results apparently will be available sometime in April. Now, that is another trend we're seeing emerging, and we are reporting on it quite a lot, Wayne, the use of smart packaging to gather data through consumer engagement with the packaging. So this is an interesting move by two global brands, Lindy, essentially using Australia as a test market. And in another news report on PKN this month, market analyst Global Data, they came out saying the move by these two major companies could trigger what they called or termed the paperization of these types of packaging in Australia and potentially the whole Asia-Pacific region. Yeah, paper and board packaging materials, primarily folding cartons, trays and tubs, those account for about 10% of confectionery packaging volumes in Australia um, in million pack units. But flexible packaging contributes over 75% of Australia's confectionery packaging volume. So that's huge volumes. Yeah, we can see that. Well, well, Lindy, what are the main drivers of this shift to paper? Well, essentially, it's three main things. We're seeing a change in legislation. Governments across APAC region are cracking down on single-use plastics. Consumers also growing more eco-conscious, highly aware that single-use plastics are ending up in landfill um, and really don't want this to continue. And companies and brand owners are wanting to meet their own sustainability goals and to find circular solutions. And at the moment, that's not always possible with flexible plastic. Yeah, but in, I guess ensuring the right barrier properties are achieved, that must be the key challenge for any paper and board-based packaging developer. Yeah, so there are a number of challenges 
in switching material, um, and those can occur on the production line as well, as you well know, Wayne. But but create getting the right barrier, that's key, because that's going to affect your uh, product quality. And at the end of the day, um, your purchase, the, the consumer's decision whether to purchase the product again. So plastic barriers, bioplastic barriers, foil barriers, these are all in the trial packs that are currently out there on the market. And new on the market in Australia from SAPI, so the paper paper giant SAPI, is a range of sustainable barrier papers that are tipped to provide the sought-after barrier functionality in the paper-based food packaging. So this would allow brand owners who are looking to make the switch from flexible plastics and foils to feel more confident in that barrier property. The integrated barriers, according to SAPI, mitigate the need to apply special coatings or laminations. Um, and so... We don't actually know what the structure is of that paper, so I can't tell you more about that, Wayne, but uh, because the technology is obviously proprietary. But I can confirm that this, these barrier papers are now on the market here for Australian brand owners. Yes, Ball and Doggett, Australia's largest supplier of printable materials, has just signed a partnership agreement with SAPI to distribute its sustainable barrier papers. It's Ball and Doggett's first foray into flexible material space, and this move, the company says, solidifies its ongoing commitment to bring innovative and sustainable solutions to the local market. Yeah, that is a great move for Ball & Doggett. They are very um, attuned to the market needs for changes in material, um, packaging materials. So good on them for signing up that deal. Now, interestingly, on barriers, we may see learnings from other product categories as well. So liquid food packaging giant Tetra Pak has just announced in a story that we ran in PKN's January-February print issue, the successful completion of a 15-month commercial technology validation in Japan of a polymer-based barrier to replace the aluminium layer in um, a Tetra Pak carton. So this is very significant uh, in terms of the carton's recyclability going forward. But more significantly, the company has now also moved to the next level of developing a fiber-based barrier that marks a first for aseptic food carton packages distributed under ambient conditions. So that is going to be a real game changer if they can get that fiber-based barrier right. Removing the foil layer, as I said, from the Tetra Pak carton is a huge step towards improving its recyclability. That's been a sticking point for Tetra Pak, um, certainly in this market. And speaking of recycling, also in the news this month, in fact, just this week, I'm going to be attending the opening of Tetra Pak's first recycling facility in New South Wales, developed in partnership with SaveBoard Australia. Okay, well, what will this facility do? Well, Wayne, this facility will manufacture construction products entirely out of used beverage cartons, which would otherwise have ended up in landfill. So the cartons are sourced largely from container deposit scheme feedstock, um, and they're recycled and processed on site using high-tech equipment, which interestingly has been imported from Czech Republic and Germany. Recycled paper sheeting that is converted and supplied by Opal, as well as 80% recycled plastic sheeting that's converted and supplied by Convex, also form part of this finished product. Now, the process is as follows. All collected materials, which include the cartons, the caps, and the straws from these um, Tetra Pak and Combi Block packaging, are shredded in an industrial blender. The material then is compressed using heat as the bonding agent. And this is important because it eliminates the need for any glues or other chemical additives in the process. 
The board is coated with a thin facing material and then cut to size. Now the resulting product is a sturdy, lightweight alternative to conventional plasterboard, plywood or particle board and is itself also 100% recyclable. It's the first of its kind in Australia, this pioneering recycling facility, and it aims to help Tetra Pak reduce the dependency on exporting beverage cartons overseas, because that's what they've been doing to, up to date. They've been bailing those Tetra Pak cartons, separating them, bailing them, sending them offshore to be recycled properly. But what this does is it brings a recycling um, option and a recycling infrastructure to the shore, to onshore. And as we've learning very much these days, circularity, in other words, recycling the recycled product into something is absolutely key, isn't it? Having something for the product to be recycled into. Yes. So I guess it's by going from, from packaging into a building material, it's not a true circular loop because it's not packaging to packaging, but it is nevertheless getting us closer to closing that loop. And definitely, um, especially if that material can last for a very long time. And then in some other recycling news stories this month, we have a continuation of the soft plastics recycling saga. And in the latest development, there has been a follow-on from the recent ruling by the New South Wales Environmental Protection Agency that the supermarkets Coles and Woolworths would need to send to landfill the 5,500 tonnes of soft plastic collected by the red cycle bins in their store. Now, the reason for this is that it now poses a potential fire hazard stored as it is in warehouses. So the latest update now on this is that the supermarkets have proposed that they will take responsibility for not only the New South Wales tonnage, but also the full total, the 12,400 tonnes of soft plastic stored by RedCycle in warehouses around the country. Um, the supermarkets made the offer to store the plastic themselves after a meeting of the Soft Plastic Task Force late last week, and this was pending RedCycle's acceptance of it, which did come through across the weekend. At the time of recording this segment of the podcast, Red Cycle has just announced it has gone into liquidation, paving the way for Coles and Woolworths to take ownership of the material. The supermarkets will both contribute to a multi-million dollar fund to pay for the safe storage and management of the plastic until it can be recycled. They are not taking over any of Red Cycle's debts. They are merely paying for the management and storage of the plastic that has already been collected. What's going to be the solution, Linda, would you say, for soft plastics going forward? Yeah, well, um, of course, it's early days to say. Um, in the immediate future, we don't have a solution for all that material that has now been collected and stored. So there's, there's material collected in other states as well, as you know, Wayne. Um, but the good news is that there are collaborative efforts underway. The AFGC, that's the Australian Food and Grocery Council, the um, Australian Packaging Covenant Organization, big brands like Nestle and other parties, stakeholders who are already involved in exploring different types of technologies and curbside recycling or curbside collection for soft plastics and combining those um, into a extended producer responsibility scheme these developments are happening, but the essence of it is that when we develop something for it, we will need to develop it with greater transparency and accountability built into the structure of whatever the solution is going to be. So PKN will be following this progress as it unfolds, Wayne. 
Yes, well, we'll keep our eyes on it. Lindy, any news on rigid plastics recycling infrastructure development? Yes, there is news, and it is good news. And it comes this month from Pact Group, which will see several facilities come on stream this year for circular recycling of PET, um, so that's polyethylene terephthalate, and HDPE, high-density polyethylene. This month, we reported that installation is underway of sorting and recycling equipment at Circular Plastics Australia PET. Now, this is the joint venture company that is a partnership between PACT Group, so PACT is the manufacturer and recycler of the plastics packaging, Clean Away Waste Management, Asahi, and Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners, so brand owners involved there too. They'll be using the material that is recycled, PACT will be managing the plant. When it's operational later this year, the new $50 million facility will be the biggest of its kind in Victoria and the equal biggest in Australia, capable of recycling the equivalent of 1 billion PET bottles per annum. That's what we need to see more of, isn't it? Development of recycling infrastructure that will help us solve the plastic waste challenge that we face in Australia. Yes, and importantly, as you mentioned earlier, Wayne, that it's not just solving a waste problem. We are developing um, sustainable, truly circular solutions. That's really the direction we have to take um, going forward. That's all we have time for today. Thanks, Wayne, so much for joining me in wrapping up the big news stories for February in Australia's packaging industry. Now, for a comprehensive overview of all the stories we've covered and more, you can head to our website, packagingnews.com.au. And that's it from me, Lindy Houston, signing off. Well, thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Lindy. And thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from the show. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.